you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners, and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections. Welcome to the Rhino Cast podcast brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And balloons for the kiddies. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace. On this episode of the RhinoCast, Rhino's own John Hughes talks with none other than Mickey Dolenz and Michael Nesmith about Christmas Party, the first ever holiday album from the Monkees. You know why I did the hey, hey instead of the hey this time, don't you? Absolutely, I do. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Kind of crazy to think that after more than 50 years, dozen top 40 hits, three number one singles, and each of their original four LPs going to number one, that the monkeys have never released a holiday record until now. 16 million albums, 7.5 million singles in two and a half years. That's an incredible amount of output when you think about it. Especially since they weren't, quote, a band, but they were a band, as we learned in that earlier Monkees podcast with Mickey Dolenz. That's right. And Mickey is back, and we also have... Mike Nesmith. And our friend John Hughes, who was exec producer of the new Christmas Party album by the Monkees. 
Christmas Party does feature all four members of the Monkees and follows in the footsteps of their critically acclaimed 2016 release, Good Times. And here's the cool part. And I got to meet him recently. He is the coolest dude. Adam Schlesinger's back as the producer, and he brought a whole pile of his very talented friends along with him. Of course, you know him from Fountains of Wayne, Stacy's mom. Yeah. And didn't he also write the main track for That Thing You Do? Yes, he did. Yeah, that was a great song. That could have been a hit in the 60s for sure. Amazing songwriter, amazingly talented. He's just got that thing when it comes to working with bands, whether it's his own or others. And I mean, we're talking hooks, major hooks. You mentioned all the friends that Adam brought along for this new record, and the track we heard at the top of the podcast, Unwrap You at Christmas, was written by Andy Partridge of XTC. And then we have uh, other new tracks from the likes of Rivers Cuomo, from Weezer, Peter Buck of R.E.M., Scott McCoy, The Minus Five, and Adam even wrote a track himself for this one. Can I go back to Rivers Cuomo of Weezer? Yeah. There's this track called What Would Santa Do? And... The thing overall about this particular Christmas party is it's a party for the times. And thinking about the people who are involved, whether it's Adam or or Cuomo or Peter Buck, these are very aware people. So if you listen to the lyrics of things like What Would Santa Do or House of Broken Gingerbread, these are Christmas songs for the times, Rich. They're certainly not your grandparents' Christmas carols. No, I mean, look, we all need a little Christmas cheer in some years more than most. I mean, you have a a track called Jesus Christ. Hey, big star cover on this record. Pretty cool. That's brave in and of itself. But I mean, think of a world where back that many years ago, the monkeys would meet Big Star, would meet Weezer, would meet, you know, I mean, it's incredible. And then, and then, Merry Christmas, baby, the ultimate funk tune we did mention that all four monkeys are on this album peter tork turns in a banjo laced version of angels we have heard on high and the late great davy jones appears on two tracks silver bells and mele kalikimaka using his vocals from archive recordings mixed with newly recorded tracks and how about nez's talented sons christian and jonathan producing their father on two tracks the christmas song and snowfall And wow, how about the McCartney cover? I mean, how appropriate is that at this moment in time with Mac being so back in the mix? It's true. This album is really, Monkees fans are going to dig this, but outside of Monkees fans, people are really going to find this music interesting. It is a really well-produced, well-put-together record that's a joy to listen to. And you know, Rich, you would expect I'm going to have some trivia for you. Wizard, I wish it could be Christmas every day, 1973. Do you know who Wizard was? You know who the leader of Wizard was? No, lay it on me. Roy Wood, co-founder ELO. He left after their first record and went on to form Wizard. Band only lasted for a couple of years, but that I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day is one of those cover songs that was actually a hit. Brits know it more than anything else, and it's just so brilliant it's on this Christmas party album. Well, what do you say we get right to John Hughes' conversation with Mickey Dolans and Mike Nesmith, Dennis? I think that it will cheer us all up, Rich. John Hughes here, and I'm here with probably one of the preeminent pop vocalists in rock and roll history. And I say this all the time, and I'm going to say it again. He's awesome. Mickey Dolenz. Oh, John. (laughs) Thank you so much. 
Here's the 20. Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> so we're here, obviously, to talk about the Monkey's Christmas Record Christmas Party and yep. how it came about and who's on it and how you felt about it and how you feel about it today. And Well, I, I must admit, after the success of Good Times, we all were wondering, as you may remember, what do we do now? What do we do next? Right. You know, the follow-up. And I know that for me, and I felt it was the general consensus, was that we can't do good times too. You know, better not times. A few months later. I mean, <laughs> it took 50 years to, to get that album together. And I remember thinking, there's no way we're going to pull together a good times too with all those tracks that were been forgotten for 50 years and all these incredible writers and get Ben Gibbard and Rivers Cuomo and Eddie Partridge to all of a sudden come up. And then I think it was you that came up with the Christmas album idea, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was just like you said, it was like, how do you follow good times without being, you know, a carbon copy of it? Yeah. Because we'd get slaughtered. If we went out with just another copy of Good Times. Yeah. If you had three years to, to right. put something together, but record companies, being as greedy as they are, they <laughs> wanted another CD out. So whoever it was, I thought it was you. Yeah, it was me. Um, yeah. And when you said Christmas record, I was like, of course, because it's not trying to be Good Times too. Right. And you guys have but, a, his a history with Christmas. Yeah, and we never did a Christmas right. album. We only did that one Christmas song, Rio mm -hmm. Reissue. So that kind of made sense. But I did wonder, where's the material going to come from? You know, Me too. Are we going to do all <laughs> standards? You know, which I thought would not probably work. Then all of a sudden, we just put the word out to a lot of the people that had written for Good Times, and all of a sudden, they came back with, you know, some monster material. Yeah, it was interesting. The standards versus new material fight, it was a fight. Really? It, yeah, it was... Can you tell us between oh, who? Uh, people <laughs> people here, people there. The suits. Yeah, no, I, I know. I think it was also some of you guys as well. I think there was a little question. It wasn't so much a fight. That's the wrong word. I think there was a, a very... Creative yeah, debate. a spirited discussion. What is this? What is this album? Yeah. It kind of came to, okay, is it 70%, 30%? Yeah. It, we kind of said, let's look at the songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you remember the first round where it was actually titled Winter World and it was supposed to be really melancholy and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. kind of blown up. And then I came up with the title Yule Times. <laughs> Which I thought was a cool thing, because obviously good times, Yule times. But I, I like, I love the the title now. And the material is just, well, it, uh oh well, we have a call. We have a caller. Hold on, let's take this. A caller calling in. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Mickey Dolans here at Rhino Records. Uh, who's this? I'm the captain of the aircraft carrier. I'm trying to park out front of Cedar sinai <laughs> Well... Hang on a second, and we'll just call security and get you a parking pass. <laughs> okay, that's what the lady said I needed, that I needed another ticket. I believe she said it was $3,600, or maybe it's $36,000. It's 1000 I'm afraid. Sorry, sir. Oh, it's well. 1000 Hang on one minute. aircraft carrier coming in at the south gate. I don't know why they hired this guy. He can't talk. Nobody understands him. You get him on the radio, and he goes, <laughs> Obviously, we have Michael Nesmith joining us on the we phone. Have lift we have lift Yeah, or uh, hey, anchors, anchors away. Hey, kiddo. You sound great. How are you feeling? I feel really good. I went to the 
last two doctors I got, one which is a cardio guy and, and one which is, uh, what's the sugar thing? Oh, diabetes. And uh, they said, you know, it, it all looked great. I don't, don't have any symptoms. I'm in good shape. And I feel fantastic. You know, oh, you know, fantastic. Well, you, you sure on. looked and sounded great the other night in Connecticut, man. Yeah, I thanks was... for that great letter. It was a real boost. Oh man, I was. Oh, can you you can imagine how relieved everybody uh, is. <laughs> and uh, you sounded great. Band sounded great. You look you look great. And uh, and here here's to it. And here's to this uh, pretty cool Christmas album, man. I gotta tell you, Snowfall. Oh my God, I remember my mom singing that. You know, Isn't that a beauty? after they, his wife wrote the lyrics. You know, that's 1941. I think was the instrumental. Yeah, if, I'm not, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. First time I ever heard it was Manhattan Transfer, and that's what I told Jonathan. And he said, "Well, I'll use it as a point of departure." And I thought he did just perfect. You know, it, it's a, it's a close enough to it that you recognize its origins and the legacy but it's also far enough away to demonstrate its creativity. Yeah, it was lovely, and your vocal is absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's wonderful, and, and all kudos to Jonathan. does a good Mike Nesmith. <laughs> he does. He? Well, uh, he doesn't do the lead, and he yeah. doesn't do the fir first and second. Uh, he didn't do the lead? Gonna, no, that's you. That wasn't... I thought that was Jonathan on lead. <laughs> no, no. I wouldn't let him. I said, you know, some little kid's not going to come up from the back bedroom and say, by the way, can I take over all your time and legacy with the Mike? It's like, no. Go back to bed. Who woke you up? <laughs> Put this pacifier back in your mouth. And well, it's interesting because Snowfall, along with uh, the Christmas song, they sound like First National Band outtakes from the 70s, I think. I think it's amazing how great you sound and how good Pete Finney sounds on those tracks and the production from Christian and Jonathan. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire 
Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly well, I think the most important thing I have to say for the meeting and for everybody's listening is I want to make that you get all the things so, so cut out so it doesn't and you, that way you have something where you go and buy it take to an attorney and hello hello oh hi guys <laughs> and you can quote him on he's that. back <laughs> You're sounding so great, so healthy, yeah. so so your voice, like I say, your voice sounded so good. How was the first national band tour? Unbelievable. I loved it. What about well, the no, I mean, I, well, I wasn't on the tour, but I saw the show. What was... about what about you, Nez? What did you think? You have a good time on the road? Yeah, I did. And, you know, the band, while they're not, in terms of actual practice and billing, first call session guys, they all play like first call session guys. So I'm up there with these gorillas who can play anything I throw at them and instantly understand the aesthetics of any song that we're after. And they all have a great sense of legacy, so they can go back in there and you know, throw the line in the water and pull up something by Chuck Berry that nobody ever heard. So from that standpoint, working in front of a group like that is a rare treat. You don't get it much as a singer. You know, most of the time, <laughs> the, drummer, the drummer and the piano player are just trying to sit up straight. <laughs> Sit up straight. So, <laughs> but not these guys. You know, they were on it. And the audiences were amazing. I mean, they were on their feet after every song. And they would jump up and, and I would wave them back down. I said, no, we got a long way to go. <laughs> they were trying to leave now. <laughs> yeah, that's what, my, that's what my people kept telling me. They're leaving. Sit They're down. Leaving. Sit <laughs> down. Me, Adam, 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 excuse me. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't want to minimize this, though. You went out on the road after coming off the tour with Mickey, going to the hospital, taking a break to record these songs for the Christmas record. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it amazes me. Yeah. I'm amazed I'm still alive. Oh, boy. Jeez, oh, don't even... 
don't even go there. Don't even um, joke. And I remember that same sort of response that you and I got on the Mike and Mickey show. It was just yeah. phenomenal. Those reactions from those audiences. Was well, let's just, talk about that. You guys are going back out again. We are. In March, we're going to uh, pick up at least the four dates that were postponed. Mm -hmm. And then who knows? You know, we're waiting to, you know, make me an offer. <laughs> <laughs> A good one. Well, I think if we if we put some time into it, Mick, and we and we really got our sharp knives out and our tools, we could craft something that was very creative and new. Nobody'd seen it. You know, nobody really does what we do, which is, you know, we're a stand-up, soft shoe, shovel off to Buffalo act <laughs> that's up there playing, you know, screaming death metal head, and it's a uh, it, it, for me, it's kind of a it's a magic trick. It's just something that, that happens, you know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It did feel a little bit like a magic trick. The songs, of course, were well-crafted and well-rehearsed, but in between, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't... <laughs> no, we uh, didn't. <laughs> no, we, and I think that was part of the charm. I mean, well, I do, too. Yeah. As someone was, who's seen you guys multiple, multiple times, it was definitely a unique experience with yeah, the two yeah, of you. I kept Absolutely. getting that from a lot of people in... And the audiences that I just was out on, they, they would say, well, we came to the first show because we didn't know what we were going to see, and we just wanted to see how you were. We were worried about your health, and just to make sure that you were okay. But God, we loved the show so much, we came back the second time, which was, you know, a city away. Yeah. And, and now we've got tickets to the third, fourth, and fifth shows. Yeah. And it was that kind of longevity that was opening up for them, for me to see for the first time. Because I'd never seen anything like that in my career. This is fantastic. If this is what the audience pours out when you give them what you have to give. <laughs> well, you and I, you know, besides the music, which, like I said, a given that it is great songs by great writers and performed really well, the thing that I love about it, Nez, is that this is the first time that you and I sort of got to go back to that Mike and Mickey vibe yeah. that nobody ever, for 50 years, nobody ever saw that except on the set. And right. they, they didn't know that it was the Mike and Mickey show, like, say, yeah. the Texas Prairie chicken yeah but that's what it was this spontaneity this improvisational thing which i gotta be honest i gotta say i was very uncomfortable with improvisation right from the get-go really when jim frawley was brought in to teach us because i'd never done that hmm. i was a child star with a script you know and the, i learned my lines i went in and i'd never done improv of any kind it was a curse i mean you started to improv your dialogue on a television set and you'd be fired Lassie, and, Lassie, what are you trying to say, girl? <laughs> <laughs> Stop so, spinning, Lassie. <laughs> yeah. so, Lassie's not spinning. You are, you idiot. <laughs> 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 so that, so all of a sudden, you know, I was I was uncomfortable with it for a while. And well, but then all of a sudden it. it turns out that that Nez and I were the ones that really fell into those moments like like we're doing now. Just all of a sudden and some of that stuff to their credit. Bob and Bert and Jim Frawley and the editors, they used a lot of that stuff that was not intended necessarily to be used. And what, what about you, Nez? You had no acting experience at that point. So was improv difficult, or was it just something that happened? No, that was my native M.O. When I got on the set, I looked around, and uh, this sounds you know, like I'm pounding some sand, but I, I decided very quickly that the guy I wanted to follow in was Mick. 
that this is the guy who knows what's going on here. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of time in front of a camera, so follow him. Did you know that I had made that choice, Mick, to do that? No. <laughs> yeah, well, because I didn't want to make me self-conscious or you self-conscious, but I was paying close attention. When the close-up camera would come up, Mick would take a position next to the principal that made sure he had most of the screen. <laughs> you noticed so, that? <laughs> and so I thought, well, that looks smart to me. I'm going to go I'm going to go down that road. And sometimes it would get way way out of control and you know the directors and producers and writers would pull us back. Oh boy, a couple times I remember mm. very well. Well, you know, that was not just our fault. They had encouraged, nay, instructed us into this feeling of improvisation and spontaneity, like these uh, classes like we took with, with Jim yeah. Frawley, who was out of Second City with Mike Nichols and Elaine May. And they encouraged us to do this. And yeah. I've always likened it to sort of a fission reaction, like a nuclear fission. you got to let it go. Because otherwise you don't get any energy. Uh, yeah, you don't get it, any energy. You don't get. You don't really get the creative swing of the pen because you know you're starting to happen by rote. Yeah, I must give credit to the writers and the producers of the show because they must have been riding a very fine line between this fission reaction, really creating a lot of energy, or melting a hole through the center of the earth, which <laughs> it did a couple times. Yeah, uh, with Hans Conrad, for instance, and others. Oh my God. Yeah. And then. Or you put a cap on it, if you squish it down and put too tight a lid on, you crush it. And they wrote a very fine line, and I gotta hand it to them. But it must be said, the scripts that were written by, at the time, really incredible, really well-crafted scripts. And w when you do improv, if you do have a script, or if you do have a, a structure. The roadmap. Yeah, a road map, mm -hmm. and all improvisational artists will tell you that. You, if you have a road map, which they do, like never say no is one right. of those little rules and things like that. Yes, and. Yeah, and I think that Nez and I really, boy, I remember some really amazing moments. Well, that chemistry, it just, with some exceptions, I would say Auntie's Municipal Court, Girl I Knew Somewhere, it was never capitalized in the recording studio, though. Do you feel? Yeah, zilch. Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob. Right. That was Nez and I. Well, I'll let Nez tell where he got that one from. Mine was China Clipper Calling Alameda. was from my mom, who used to say it from a movie in the 40s called China Clipper, I think it was called. <laughs> China Clipper Calling Alameda. And her and her teenage friends went around going China Clipper Calling Alameda. And Nez, why don't you tell them where Davalina came from? My first wife, Phyllis, we were in a department store in downtown San Antonio named Frost Brothers. The guy got on the microphone and he said, Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina, Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina. And that was it. <laughs> and I lost it. I started laughing so hard. Phyllis said, what's the matter? What are you laughing? And I said, listen to this. This is a guy who's doing some kind of spoken poetic thing. And of course, I didn't have the words for rap at the time. But it was lining the words up so that their meaning flowed into each other the same way that the rhythm flowed into each other, but absolutely without any consciousness of doing it. So I started going around, Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina, and then we were all in the studio, four of us, really not knowing what to do next. Yeah. And I said, well, here, let's try this. <laughs> and, and the song before it came to a close, and somebody started saying, Silch, and said, we don't have anything to do. We just... <laughs> and then you know, I, I, I started in, Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina. From there, you guys just kind of separated, though, and it became 
producing your own stuff yeah. going forward. So right. there was a, not so much interaction like that. But Nez, you still liked using Mickey on some of your songs for vocals. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that there's a little spark between the two of us. We're not the same by a long stretch, but we do have an appreciation of the same things. Mm. And that, that goes a long way towards smoothing out work-together problems. And one of the things that I've you know enjoyed about working with Mick is shooting the occasional wild shot in the middle of nowhere and watching it ricochet around the room. And especially when Mick pops up from the middle of nowhere in a strange character mask with a huge baseball glove and catches the bullet that's ricocheting. <laughs> and those are things that are kind of, you know, monkey shtick, but they don't have any race on debt outside just the fact that they're funny and they make you laugh. What was your initial reaction to the idea, first of all? To the idea of the Christmas album? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> Why so? Well, I, you know, I'm a bit of a fuddy-duddy when it comes to theology and sacred texts and so forth. I don't play too fast and loose with that stuff because they have deep embedded meetings. And so when the sacred season comes around, and I roll Thanksgiving in on that, and <laughs> oddly enough, some of Halloween, <laughs> but, but, but when Christmas and Thanksgiving and those times come around, the culture skies just fill with music but they're not you know they're not gag songs it's not the jingle bell rock and it's not you know rudolph the red-nosed reindeer they're much more sacred than that so i take them you know i take them with a seriousness and i sing them and the, the harmonies need to be right for me and so forth well none of that was available on the album mm -hmm. the driving conceit was let's make an album of the monkeys singing christmas songs and I just thought that was a terrible idea. Why? Why, <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> well, I don't mean to, you know, I'm, I'm not ridiculing it. No, no, I, it's interesting because I think no one, if they were to ask what songs would Michael Nesmith want to sing on a Christmas record, I don't think anyone would have picked the Christmas song in Snowfall. Yeah. No, I know that. I mean, it's my uh, hidden Nat King Cole. I keep him at hand all the time in case I need a tobacco cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting, and it turned out so well that, you know, your instincts were obviously correct. I mean, I'll take, I'll take credit for that, but I'll tell you where the credit is. is in those two songs, and Snowfall is just, you know, a musical giant. I mean, it's such a great piece of music. And you can't go wrong with it. And what we did was we lifted the core, the Manhattan Transfer's vocal techniques and, and the way they stacked the harmonies up. And then we inter, interleaved it with pedal steel guitar and with a few other instruments that are unexpected to you know, buff up the kind of harmonic interplay between the way all those chords and notes went together. But what it does is it turns into a snowfall. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't sing about a snowfall. It turns into one. And that's, that's hard to grok right at first, but it's, it's very true. And when it does do that, it's electrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it really is. And I know Christian has mixed some live stuff for you before, but is this the first time you've had Christian and Jonathan produce you? Yeah. What was yeah. that like? Well, it's fantastic. I mean, first of all, they're they're super pro musicians. So it's like working with the first call guys in L.A. 
or in Nashville. And there's very little that they can't play, and what they can't play, they learn really fast. And we share a musical heritage. You know, we, we, we went to the same church, we sang the same hymns, we went to the same drive-ins, we did all that stuff that you do as a family. So the music of the 60s permeated the music of our family home, and they know all that stuff. And Christian and Jonathan just stayed with it and went ahead and partied with the rest of the animals, learned all the music from the 70s and the 80s and getting close to the classic rock. Christian, even to this day, plays in a in a Zep band. A Zep, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call them? They're, uh, uh, like a tribute band? There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Tribute. Took a walk down to the root beer stand. So <laughs> having all those shared values, you know, the only thing they didn't really understand was country music. And I've been in the process of teaching them my version of that since as long as I can remember. Christian's taught himself now to play the slide guitar. And uh, Jonathan's always been a very accomplished keyboard and guitarist. So um, when we put the choir up there, which sounds like more than it is, because there's uh, six voices, roll that into it, you know, it turns into another experience altogether. Uh, I, think- I, I think that was all caught on the record, frankly. It, it's not live on the record, but it... It sure did feel like Jonathan understood every note and every swing of it, of of every beat in that song. I think it's really amazing when you consider both songs came together from nothing to almost fully finished in four days. (laughs) (laughs) That was my kids. (laughs) And multi-talented because Jonathan, along with uh, his partner Susan, is directing one of the music videos from the album. And the animation, they all do themselves. I mean, it's magical. Yeah, it's very good. And he did the uh, video for You Bring the Summer from yeah. Good Times. So uh, just a very talented brood you have there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it when they come up for holidays. We turn, we put set up a bunch of cameras in the living room and around and recorders and just turn them on and let them run. <laughs> <laughs> Another songwriter and contributor that came down and who was really bummed he missed you, Michael, was Peter Buck from R.E.M. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great meeting him. Yeah. I was an R.E.M. fan, you know? Yeah? Oh, yeah. And I was thrilled that he was there. It was it was great. That was quite a nice, nice little moment. Yeah. And I think this album is interesting that it's the first Monkees record that even came near trying to cover a Beatles song or a song by a Beatles yeah. Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney Tricky, yeah Yeah, it's a tough thing a tough thing to do I hope it came out okay I, I think it came out great I, but, you know, I'm biased Yeah <laughs> The mood is right The spirit's up We're here tonight And that's enough Simply having A wonderful Christmas time talked about is the cover concept by Michael Allred Mm -hmm. which um, I don't know if you guys have any feelings about that if you like Michael's work 
Oh well, mm-hmm. I do. I mean, I mean, I thought it was appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I agree I, with Mick. I, I think it was appropriate. So many different ways you could have gone and tried to make a statement and and everything, but given the the, the kind of material, and also let's face it, given what people's perception of the monkeys was and is, the fans, and I mean the people that are going into Target. And, you know, that's how they see us. That's how they remember us. I have no problem with that. I think, unless there's anything else you want to cover, I think we're good. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll just stay on the line all day. No, no, no. No, no, that was, that was an answer to nothing else to cover. Okay. But, what, but, but the one thing I don't want to leave dangling is that Mick and I are going to go out as him and him. Uh, right after the first of the year, right March or something like yep. that. Yeah. So and those are good shows. Come, you know, we're only going to do four or five, right, or five or six. I don't know. I know we're doing at least the four that we owe. Uh, that you know that we miss. Yeah, yeah right. the four, at least those. And I've I've heard rumors that there are other offers uh, or yeah. suggestions of offers. And I guess we'll just have to take those uh, one at a time as they come along. Yeah. Yeah, I say fall off the ceiling. Yep. Exactly. Nice talking to you, Nez. To hang in there. Love to everybody. Love to the family. Take care of yourself. Yep, you too. And have a wonderful holiday season. Okay, my brother. Stay well. Thanks so much, Nez. Appreciate it. Bye. One thing that is kind of similar to this as Good Times is the return of the producer, Adam Schlesinger. Uh, What was it like working with Adam again? It's always been incredibly rewarding working with Adam. I mean, not only does he obviously have the right sensibility for this kind of material and for good times and now the Christmas album, but he's just such a great guy to be around. He's so much fun to work with. He really does know what he wants. He's very, very specific. He doesn't waffle around, uh, you know, which I respect and I like because I kind of know what I want and I don't want to spend hours and hours. I can't spend hours and hours and hours going over every possible variation on a theme. So I do like that. And it reminds me, frankly, of how I used to record in the original days in the 60s. The production method, his production method was very, very similar Mm -hmm. to how I had to record because I'd go off and I'd be doing the television show 10 hours a day and then have to go in the studio and sometimes do two lead vocals in a night. I, I can't do that anymore. But you did, you did though. Well, I did a couple of times, but I wasn't doing a 10-hour filming right, of a television show. True. I was sleeping till four. Yeah. But I like the idea of knowing what you want going in there and just getting it done. There's an energy to it. There is, because in those days, in the old days, of course, you did not have the luxury of 700,000 tracks, mm-hmm. you know, virtual tracks. So you could do it in every possible different way and time and take. You couldn't do that. You know, it was basically you were doing these songs almost live because it was four tracks, as, as we all know. So you had to have your stuff together, yeah. you know, and you had to make those creative editorial decisions beforehand. And during the recording process, because you just didn't have the option. You had to make these choices. And there's something to be said for that, because under fire, you do tend to maybe make the right choices. I used to write a lot as a kid and then through school, and I would write on a typewriter, a little Myth Corona, regular old typewriter. 
And I remember having to be very careful, mm-hmm. <laughs> pre-think of what I was going to type, because I knew that when I went back to read it, if I wanted to change something, I had to get out the old eraser, the mm-hmm. little round eraser with the brush on the yeah. end, and I had to fix it and go back or redo the whole page. I heard someone's mom invented that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now with computers, of course. Who cares? But... <laughs> But having to make those editorial decisions real-time and stick by them, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and also in in praise of Adam, this was an album that was done with real instruments in a real studio, no drum machine, hmm. you know, yeah. n- no synths, I mean, real keys. So it was. it's interesting to make an album that way in 2018. No, I have just tons of admiration for... Adam and I called him the other day and you know we congratulated each other you know and hopefully you know there'll be something else in in the future you never know I hope so we in monkey world we never say never never say never and on that note I can't think of a better way to wrap this up and thank you so much for coming Mickey Dolans we appreciate it thank you John thank you Patrick and Christmas party by the monkeys is available right now go grab it Kalikimaka is the thing to say On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day That's the island greeting that they send to you From the land where palm trees sway Here they know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Malikalikimaka is Hawaii's way to say Merry Christmas to you. I'm a lonesome traveler from so far away, and I won't be home on Christmas Day. But I've got some friends to help me celebrate in the land where hula maidens sway. Here where life is easy going, I have come to mingle with the fishes in the Hawaiian sun. Malikalikimaka is so That interview put you in the Christmas spirit? It did, because look, this Christmas party album is the gift that keeps on giving. It's really kind of amazing that the Monkees never did a Christmas album. It just seems like such an obvious idea. Fun, jovial, upbeat, but they had never put out a holiday album until now. So Rich, where can we find this Christmas party release? It's available on CD and all of your favorite streaming platforms. This is going to be fantastic. Make sure you share it with your friends and family. It's really something you can spice up your Christmas playlist. There's something on this album for everybody. It's familiar and brand new at the same time. Merry Christmas, baby. And last but certainly not least, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next RhinoCast. Executive producers for Rhino, John Hughes and Lauren Goldberg. Produced for Rhino by Pop Colt and Rich Mayhan Promotions. All rights reserved.